New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Mark Gober, and he's the author of An End to Upside-Down Thinking, Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces Consciousness and the Implications for Everyday Life. Mark, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Mark, in this book, you really are a grand researcher of research. (laughs) You have pulled together so much research on the experiments that have been going on about consciousness and how consciousness really is fundamental. There is a scientific thought that materialism is the most fundamental part of, of reality. But you're saying that consciousness, it seems, is the fundamental part Can you say something about that, please? Exactly. So the conventional view in in most of science and modern society says that the universe is made of matter, and when you combine that matter in various ways through random processes, you end up with biology, like a human being that develops a brain, and then the brain produces our conscious experience, which is something we all have. Anyone who's listening to this right now is conscious and aware. And what the conventional view says is that consciousness comes from the brain. That's precisely what I am challenging in an end to upside down thinking. And for me, you mentioned the research. The fact there was so much research in many different areas, that's what was really compelling for me. Say some of the different aspects that you cover in the research that you have done on the research. For me, it's not the fact that there was any one phenomenon. Like you say, it's the fact that there are many. So there are two sections in the book that go through the type of research, independent areas. One is on psychic phenomena, and there's a chapter on remote viewing, which is clairvoyance, ability to perceive at a distance, telepathy, mind-to-mind communication, precognition, which is knowing or sensing the future before it happens, animals that have psychic abilities, and psychokinesis, which is evidence that the mind can affect matter. That's one segment. There's another segment on surviving bodily death. In other words, that when the body dies, consciousness does not die which is predicted by this idea that consciousness is primary. The three areas that I look at are near-death experiences, communications with the deceased, such as mediumship, and children who have memories of previous lives. Children in previous lives. What does the research show about that? It is a mind-blowing area of research. What I'm referring to is work done at the University of Virginia for more than 50 years. Their Division of Perceptual Studies at the med school This is a credible institution, and they've studied over 2,500 cases of children who seem to have memories of a life that is not theirs. And these are young kids between the ages of two and five, typically. And sometimes what they describe, the details and, and the memories and the feelings they're talking about are so specific that the researchers are able to find a person who died in the manner that the child described, either through historical records or medical records or other things. To me, the most compelling cases are ones in which the children have birthmarks or physical deformities that are in line with how the child describes dying. 
And sometimes the researchers can find medical records that show that, yes, there was a person that died in this manner, and yet the child has some kind of a physical manifestation of what happened to this other person. That's so provocative. There's also, you mentioned uh, some research on child savants who maybe are labeled as, quote-unquote, retarded, and yet they're able to do some extraordinary things. Yes. What's important about this phenomenon is that it's generally accepted. And I think the movie Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman helped with that, where these are people who have impairments in their brain, and sometimes they have physical impairments where they can't speak very well or socially. There are issues relative to what a normal brain would show us, and yet they have incredible memories or they have an incredible capacity for for certain things. So there's this mismatch of an impaired brain and yet extraordinary abilities. This is not well explained by science. How is it that these people have an impaired brain and yet extraordinary abilities that a normal person, quote unquote, who has a more typical brain structure, that they don't have these abilities? The explanation might be that we have to rethink the brain, that the brain is not the producer of consciousness, but it's more like the receiver or the filter. And for whatever reason, the savant's brain is structured in a way that the signal of consciousness, so to speak, is received in a more pure sense. And that's how they might be able to do these incredible mathematical tasks and have incredible memories. So in other words, most of us go around with a brain that filters out all these abilities that are actually available to us. Is there any research that shows that we can open up our filters? Well, there are a number of areas where we see less brain functioning and heightened conscious experience. The savant is one example where there's a heightened intellectual ability or other abilities and yet an impaired brain. We also see with recent psychedelic research that people who take a certain psychedelic substance, they have less brain activity and yet they see this ultra-rich reality. Are there ways to do this without taking psychedelics or without having a near-death experience where the person has almost no brain functioning or no brain functioning and yet a lucid experience? This is an area of research, but meditation, yoga, practices like this that allow us to kind of clear the mind and allow in a pure signal, so to speak. If we think about our brain as being like the clouds in the sky and the sun is pure consciousness, then our brain might be just naturally producing clouds because we have so many thoughts and emotions. Acts like meditation might help us remove some of those clouds so that we can receive the information more purely. That's very good. I'm thinking of the work of Diane Hennessy Powell, who has worked a lot with autistic children. We think of them as impaired. We think that they're you know, have less of an intellect. And yet when they found that they could type out on a computer, these kids were phenomenal. They had all sorts of intellect. They were understanding their environment totally and completely and had an emotional life, everything. So can you say something about that? And Yeah, and Dr. Powell is an interesting case because she's such a credible scientist. She's a Johns Hopkins MD, former researcher at Harvard Med School, And she's studying savants for this exact reason. How is it that children with such impairments are able to do such extraordinary things when they can type out on an iPad? Some of her studies look at whether savants are more telepathic than an average person. The studies that I reference in the book show that an everyday person is slightly telepathic, meaning we can know something beyond what chance would predict. But savants, in some cases, in preliminary studies, it's very early days with this, are closer to 100% telepathic 
where the mother or the caregiver is given a word or something, and the child is able to type it out without seeing what it is. Now, I'll tell you the case that really gets me interested in this is the fact that Dr. Daryl Treffert, who's one of the world-leading experts on savants, he studied Kim Peek, who is what the movie Rain Man is based off of. He is noticing this as well. And he's a totally mainstream scientist who is very resistant to these ideas. He has recently said in an interview that he's wondering whether the savants are tapping into some kind of universal knowledge. That's just fascinating and gives us some hope. Are there more scientists that are logging on to this concept of saying, okay, there's something else happening besides materialism? What seems to be the case, based on my research and based on talking to many scientists, is that the conventional view, which is that the brain produces consciousness, it's very prevalent in academia, and that is the paradigm. And if you want to challenge that by talking about psychic abilities and surviving bodily death, then you are putting your academic career at risk. So people are advised to get tenure first and then study these things. Now, I remember years ago, our friend Jeffrey Mishlove, he got a PhD in parapsychology from University of California, Berkeley. And they actually refused at first his dissertation. And he sued them. And I remember Michael and I going to his party that the university had to award him his PhD. Do you remember that? I've spoken with him about that. It's an unbelievable story. And I think the history books will look back at things like this and say, how could they have done this? But it's a controversial topic. What I'm hearing more and more is that mainstream scientists behind the scenes will email the cutting edge scientists and say, saw your research. I'm really interested, but I can't talk about this. So there's a lot of that happening, I think. So maybe when enough of that happens and when it starts to affect our health and epigenetics and how we can find that we can have more well-being, that it might drive us towards it faster. I think you're right. I think anything that applies directly to the person will do it. And our medical paradigms just are not working for a lot of people. They're on drugs their whole lives. They're not solving the problem. They're just masking it. So people are looking for alternative solutions. And by thinking about consciousness as affecting physical matter, including our bodies, then we have to consider how our mindset can affect health. I'm just thinking about also homeopathy. They would say, wait, homeopathy can't work because the substance that is used in a homeopathic remedy doesn't even have the molecule left. Yet there have been experiments, if you put that homeopathic remedy into water, it affects the water. I know your book is just filled with all sorts of experiments and solutions and things that are going on that just boggle the mind. So I suggest people pick up the book and just start to delve into it. You'll be a believer when you end that book. So if there are any last word that you'd like to leave us with, Mark? Well, thank you for those kind words, and I hope your listeners enjoy the book if they decide to pick it up. For me, I think it's important to just think about the implications for this. We're talking about our own consciousness. All of us have it, and yet science doesn't know where it comes from. Conventional science will admit this. Science Magazine has called it the number two question that remains in all of science. The way they say it is, what is the biological basis of consciousness? In other words, I can touch my arm, I can touch my leg, I can't touch my consciousness. My body's physical, it's touchable, my consciousness is not. How in the world does that happen? How does something non-physical emerge from the physical? 
it's something that applies to all of us. It's not just an academic exercise. If you really start thinking about it, my own consciousness, wait, I have this consciousness. It's subjective. It's always there. It's experiencing the world, and yet our science can't explain it. So as Max Planck, the famous physicist, said, you can't get behind consciousness. You can get behind material things, but there's no way to get behind consciousness. Boggles the mind to think of it like that. So it starts to open the mind, I think. It's a reversal in the way we perceive the world. And this is why the book is called An End to Upside-Down Thinking. It's not that there is an independent universe out there and our consciousness emerged within it. It's the other way around, that everything physical and apparently objective is appearing within our consciousness. It's experienced subjectively. And that goes to so many spiritual traditions, mystical traditions as well. There's so much more we could talk about. Mark, I want to thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe today. Thanks so much for having me. I've been speaking with Mark Gober, and he spells his last name G-O-B as in boy, E-R. Mark Gober, and his website is markgober.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. His book is An End to Upside-Down Thinking, Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces Consciousness and the Implications for Everyday Life. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe today. And I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.